Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mace, a.k.a. Jarrell Mace, and welcome back to 2022 in a brand new edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. So with me right now, I have a man that was born and raised in the yay, a.k.a. the Bay Area. So shout out to San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, Vallejo, and all the surrounding areas. And you can hear him on the airways. So we're going to talk about music, radio, all that good stuff with my man, D Minor. D, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, my brother. Brother Jarrell, thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it, man. I've been following your work from the time machine and and, and beyond. So, uh, and it's, it's an honor and a pleasure just to be able to be on here and talk it with you. Man, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to come on this little humble podcast. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Born and raised in the Bay. Was radio something you always wanted to get into? Or did you have any other aspirations outside of radio growing up? Well, Jarrell, I have to tell you, uh, growing up, I, I was uh, I was a fan of music. Music was... Uh, Music was was in my life when I was in the womb. And so uh, growing up, listening to jazz, my father and my mom, they had jazz in the house. Uh, of course, the current stuff at the time, uh, as far as R&B, whether it be Aretha Franklin, uh, Anita Baker, Phyllis Hyman, Angie Bofield, and uh, of course, uh, the New Additions, The Temptations, New Kids on the Block, Ice Cube, NWA, uh, the DLC. So uh, growing up, my dad, my aunt, and my uncle had a, they had a, a cable access show called Reflections of Today. And as a little boy, they actually put me to work. So that was something I always wanted to do. And by the time I got into high school, and as I, as my time was getting short, I knew that I wanted to revisit that. So I ended up meeting this guy who had a show called Big Time Jazz named Andrew Maker. And we interviewed a guy at a station called KPOO, a guy named Bobby Spiderweb. So we went, we went down there, we interviewed them. And then I just decided to just ask, are you guys looking for any interns uh, at the radio station? And they were like, yeah, we were always looking for people to help out around the station. And so uh, I came back down there uh, about a week or two after I had graduated from high school and they, uh, they put me to work and they had me just cleaning, clean, cleaning the bathroom, uh, putting all of the records and the CDs in order. Um, uh, putting down the, the station's logo on, on on the CD and things like that. So I, I actually uh, had to get my, my my start like that. And and it was it was fun and I appreciated it. And then eventually I, I was able to get an opportunity on the air about two months later at KPOO 89.5. Okay, now with KPOO, is that, uh, was that public access radio or non-commercial radio, kind of like NPR? Yeah, it well, yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely a, a non-commercial radio station, and uh, as a matter of fact, it was uh, the first radio station in the Bay Area to play hip hop. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, LeBaron King and Marcus Clemens, they were the ones who actually broke a lot of the. They actually were the ones who actually broke hip hop here in San Francisco, Oakland, and the uh, the surrounding areas. Uh, they they were the ones who had a straight ahead hip hop and R and B show, but you had stations like. Uh, KSOL uh, and, and KFRC at the time, they would sprinkle hip hop here and there, whether it be Run DMC or Blondie, but KPOO, Marcus Clemens, Baron King, they were the ones who really kicked it off and they were able to really get it going. And, and of course, KK. 
but they they had Will Smith, they had the the whole Def Jam roster come down to the radio station. And so people really took a liking to KPO on Sundays and listening to hip hop because they knew that that's where you were able to get it. Mm, so that so they were kind of sort of taking a page out of what K Day was doing further south in LA. Absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, NWA, uh, world class wrecking crew, well, world class wrecking crew, and then when NWA, when they were trying to get their feet wet and they were doing stuff regionally, they had to come up north. As a matter of fact, they uh, they they knew they needed radio play, so they end up coming up to to KPOO. And their first, I believe, one of the singles they played was Panic Zone with Arabian Prince when they were when when it was Arabian Dre, Easy, and Q, when it was just the four of them that was in the group. And then when Yella and Ren came in eventually, they started to do more of the uh dope man, gangsta gangsta, and straight out of Compton stuff. And it's funny that you mentioned K Soul earlier. Little fun fact, people, Sly Stone, yes, of Sly and Family Stone used to be a DJ at K Soul before he went on and did his thing, of course, with Sly and the Family Stone. And when we think about the Bay Area, of course, we think about all of the great funk acts that came out of that area, like oh, Sly yeah. and the Family Stone, Graham Central Station, Confunction, Sheila E and the rest of her family, Santana, Tony, mm-hmm. Tony, Tony. The list goes on and on. So what do you think it is about that Bay Area that had such a strong influence on not only just funk, but just music, period? Well, Jarrell, I have to tell you, because the, the Bay Area is such a melting pot when it comes down to it. And what was so special about this particular area, no acts sounded like each other. And to go back to what you said earlier about Sly Stone and yeah, uh, what, what was so cool, I actually have an air check of Sly Stone from 1966 when he was on the radio, he was doing afternoons on uh, on 1450 KSOL. And uh, and, and matter of fact, uh, Johnny Morris was also on the air and I had the opportunity to work for Sly's uh, program director, Tom Johnson, who's actually still with us. And uh, man, listening to Sly Stone, he was such an amazing talent on the radio that I, I he, he definitely could have had two careers. He I'm sure he would have definitely made it in and uh and in radio if he hadn't have gone with the singing but once dance to the music came out that was that was it but but to, to go back to what you were asking i think with a lot of those acts that you mentioned none of them sounded like each other everybody had their own they had their own flavor although we know that it that a lot of it started with sly or with santana none of them sounded like each other like case in point santana malo didn't sound like journey journey didn't sound like santana uh, you know, and that, and they're all coming from the same family tree. Same as with um, Confunction, uh, Confunction, Felton Pilot, Cedric Martin, Michael Cooper, uh, uh, Danny Thomas, uh, guys like that. I mean, those guys were a force to be reckoned with. And Sheila E started with them. She started with them, and she started with George Duke, and she sounded nothing like them. Uh, by, the, by, by the way, uh, Chase Me uh, on the percussion. Uh, that's actually Sheila E that's playing percussion on there. And uh, rumor has it that uh, Sheila E actually had did some percussion on Don't Stop Till You Get Enough of Michael Jackson. Hmm. Hmm. A little bit of rumor. Have it. Oh, and I can't forget to mention Tower Power as well. T.O.P. Now, when it comes to that horn section, oh, my goodness. Yeah. The horn section alone, we can go all day about. But then you have Lenny Williams, who, who came out of there. Rick Stevens. 
the original singer for uh, Tower of Power, T.O.P. But you think about it, it's just, it's just something like, I talk to people uh, on, on, on the show that I do uh, from, from the Chicago's to the, to, to the Silvers and the Barges, and they always give it up to, they always give it up to Tower of Power, T.O.P., even Steve Arrington from Slave, uh, who actually got his start out here with the Escovito family uh, and Billy Cobham. He even said he even had to give it up to Tower of Power. And, and he's from Dayton, Ohio. So you already know what Dayton was about alone, Dayton alone, because they had the Ohio players. But Steve Arrington had even said the Escovitos and T.O.P., he was like, they were forced to be reckoned with out here. So I think it might be something in the water. And I think it's something in the bay. Uh, because we were definitely a, a force to be reckoned with. And um, a lot of those acts, I'm very proud to say that uh, that, 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 that we um, we have a lot of them here. And they're still kicking and they're still going. And they've been a, a great influence on me. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned uh, your taste in jazz earlier. We got to mention uh, the passing of the legendary James Ntume who uh, got his start with Miles Davis and later went on to form his own R&B offshoot in Tume with singer Tawatha A.G. and, of course, Juicy Fruit, which was sampled by Biggie and countless others. Then You, Me, and He, which was sampled by Cameron on Fire Tomato yeah. off the great Come Home With Me album. So can we just talk about his impact on the music industry and also him helping composing the score, the soundtrack for New York Undercover? Well, Jarrell, I have to tell you something. M2MA was a uh, force to be reckoned with. And you know you have to be something special if you're coming out of the institution of Miles Davis. And we also cannot mention James M2MA without mentioning Reggie Lucas. Yes. Reggie Lucas was also, yeah, Reggie Lucas, who also uh, joined the ancestors a couple of years back and who also uh, discovered Madonna. Uh, he also came out of the school of M2MA, I mean, of uh, Miles Davis. And M2MA's music, I mean, one thing I loved about him was that he did not compromise his music. And I think a lot of artists today uh, obviously followed that same blueprint. And with the with M2MA, their, their look and their, and their flair at that time, you, you couldn't tell me that they didn't have an influence on hip hop because they definitely did. And they, if you think about it too, with, with, with African Bubada and, 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 the, and the Full Sonic Force, and then you had uh, Grandmaster Melly Mel and all of them over there, they were looking like M2MA. They were looking like that band. They were looking like Parliament Funkadelic. They were looking like Stone City. But obviously with M2MA being from Philadelphia and being around New York, obviously that had a great influence because that's where hip, hip hop really started from that. So. In so many ways, I think M2MA definitely had a great impact on the on the culture of hip hop, and 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 uh, and one thing I loved about his music is that he he uh, again he did not change. Uh, he always kept M2MA. You knew that sound wherever you went, and so uh, he he's uh, he he would definitely be missed, and um, may he rest in power. Yes, R.I.P. James M2MA, and uh, go back people and listen to a lot of those early Stephanie Mills records, just when she was hitting her stride with her dominance, Reggie Lucas and James and Tume, they were pretty much the peanut butter and jelly of her career when she started having those big breakout hits. And uh, of course, uh, Phyllis Simons, you know how to love me. 
you know, uh, that, that was, that was in Tumea all over that. And then, like you said, never knew love like this before by Stephanie and what you're going to do with my loving. Mm, yeah. So definitely RIP James and Tumay. Now we were talking about how hip hop, depending on what region of the country you in, had, <laughs> had different sounds. So New York, of course, you're going to get a lot of the Af- Africa Bambada, Soul Sonic Force, Grandmaster Fast, Furious 5, Treacherous 3. Then in the Midwest, you had your own regional flavor, down south, your own regional flavor. And when you're thinking about hip hop out on the West Coast, you're thinking about everything that was coming out of LA, like world-class wrecking crew, Egyptian lover, LA dream team, a lot of that early stuff. But then up in the Bay, you had early too short before he got signed to jive early hammer before capital came knocking and they were rewarded with diamond sales with uh, please hammer don't hurt them. Then came E 40. And then we could go on with mighty souls and mischief, then the far side. So what do you think? is the difference between hip hop that came out of Southern California, LA, as opposed to Northern California with the later acts, like I mentioned, and also um, Digital Underground, rest in peace, uh, Shot G. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, ooh, yeah, that's, um, like you say, you had the uh, Soul, yeah, you had African Bubata and and Soul Sonic over there in New York. And then with, 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 the, with the Bay Area, what made, what made, the Bay Area different from the New Yorks and what African and then we're doing and and Melly Mel and 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 Sugar Hill Records and then even what was going on down south in, in LA what made the Bay Area so different I think was uh, we were definitely grassroots and one thing I would have to say about this particular area whether it be radio or music it's a uh, insular kind of uh, kind of a situation and I say that to say is that we're often mentioned in the conversations with the LAs and the New Yorks, but we, we, we're not influenced by them. And so I think with, um, with those acts, you mentioned Hammer. Felton Pilot produced and engineered a lot of MC Hammer stuff. I think his first three albums came from Felton. So Hammer and his brother, uh, they 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 come from that uh, confunction lineage along with the Sheila E's. So you you heard a lot of elements of funk within the uh, within within a lot of the Bay Area hip hop culture, as well as R and B. And with Too Short, of course, you heard a lot of that. And and then even with Digital Underground, Digital Underground to me, if you ask me, Digital Underground in so many ways was the Parliament Funkadelic of hip hop. Uh, because they 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 were able to bring so many elements to the table, and then you had uh, Big Brother Soul, you had Shot G, who was the musical force behind that that whole that whole group, and Shot G alone had so many characters. With uh, with whether it was Shot G or or uh, Humpty Hump, for a long time I didn't think I I thought Humpty was a completely different person. And so one thing I loved about Shock G was that, again, he didn't take himself serious. And I had, had a chance to, to, to know Shock G. And one of the things that he took, it was an advice that he had took from George Clinton was that to uh, never take yourself serious and to keep the music in front of you, but also keep it loose. And that was something that he did. And, he, um, and, and you heard a lot of it, especially within the digital underground music. 
you, you could just tell they were having fun. Even Tupac had even said that that was probably the uh, probably the best time of his life when he was with Digital Underground and Shock G. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing that separates the Bay Area from other parts of the country was that the Bay Area always has had a stream of consciousness, given the Bay Area being the place where the Black Panthers were That's founded. Right. And then if you look at the documentary uh, Crip Camp, and at Berkeley, of course, you know, center of counterculture and a lot of the pieces that started what would later to become the 88 Act of 1990 was formed in around the Bay Area because a lot of those advocates went to Berkeley or were in the vicinity to where change mattered. And I think that had a heavily influence on all the acts that came out of the Bay. Yeah, I totally agree with that, especially with the Black Panther Party and Huey Newton and Bobby Seale and El Eldridge Cleavers. And the, back, the Black Panther Party was right there in West Oakland. So the Tonys were there. And, and a lot of us were, we, we, we were the ones who were getting a lot of those free prefaces. And so the, the Black Panther Party, I think with, with, uh, with them having a great influence on a lot of the, the music artists here, like Digital Underground, like the Parises, and so on and so forth in the Scary X, uh, they they definitely had a, a great impact. And with Digital Underground, I always looked at them as the um, they 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 always dropped some knowledge within the music. Uh, even though the music was so funky, uh, you you still paid attention to the lyrics. And they were dropping they were de definitely dropping science. And obviously, you saw that with Tupac because Tupac is a product of a Black Panther. Uh, both of his parents or all uh, his parents, whether uh, uh, Matula Shakur and, and of course his mama and then even I think his biological father Billy Gardner uh, B Billy Garland was a was a Black Panther so Tupac couldn't help but actually be a Panther and you heard it all throughout his music even on his last album Machiavelli I mean that that was a um, that that was all that was all of his teachings uh, from from uh, the Black Panther Party mm -hmm. and with the Bay Area and radio, we mentioned K-Soul and Ken Miel. It was around the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, where Ken Miel was the dominant station in and around the Bay when it comes to meshing, pop, R&B, various other styles. It was called Churban, but now be referred to as CHR Rhythmic. So can we just talk about the dominance and influence of Cami L and their Summer Jam and Keith Nafterly, Hosh Gorelli, the late great Cameron Paul, and how it was appointment radio whenever Cameron Paul's mega mixes were to come on? Oh, man. Well, first and foremost, we have to say rest empowered to the late great Cameron Paul, and he was a guy that was forced to be reckoned with. I mean, he's the one who, who, who gave Salt and Pepper. If you think about it, he gave them really their their first hit, mm -hmm. one of their first hits. Uh, I think it was what Push It. Yeah, it was Push and... It. Yeah, because I didn't know that until I had a chance to interview Cameron, and he told me that it was not the original mix of right. Push It, and it was just a reworking he did that took Salt and Pepper off. That's right, and that was the B side. Okay, that that when that was the B side. So Cameron Paul's uh, Cameron Paul as a um, Cameron Paul as a DJ had a great influence on on a lot of on, on a lot of DJs here in the Bay Area. It was just it was just something that was special about his mixes. He had a a, a sharp ear, and 
just and and all that he did for a lot of the the people that were coming up uh, uh that were coming up behind him he gave a lot of people an opportunity and he he was sorely be missed and with KML summer jams wow uh KML it's funny because KML was actually a rock station in the 80s it was called the camel and then eventually they became they became an R&B station they were R&B and then eventually they just became hip hop all the way. I believe Lee Michaels might've had something to do with that. Lee Michaels out of Chicago, uh, who was at WGCI programming for it for a little while. But, um, I, and I could be wrong, but I, but if I understand right, I think he just, he just went to KML, he was consulting them. He said that, uh, you know, how about we just do hip hop 24 seven, hip hop and R&B. And KML really took off, man really took off and, and KML was a, a beast and still a beast to this day. Uh, I, I knew I grew up listening to them, but then I also grew up listening to Wild 107. Uh, when, when KSOL left 107.7 and then they became Wild 107. And uh, both of those stations at one time, they were actually at odds with each other. And so th those, those were some fun times because that's when you really, you really saw radio uh, you really saw the best out of the talents, whether it be on the KML side or, or on the Wild 107 side. It was good to just to see that. But those summer jams were just um, high energy. Uh, Michael Erickson, uh, you, you, you had uh, Efren Cihuetes, and they were all out there. And Lisa St. Regis and Rennell and Bill Lee, they were all doing the summer jams. As a matter of fact, there was one summer jam. Uh, that I went to and Zap and Roger was there and they tore the house down. And uh, that was, uh, it was around the time Slow and Easy had came out. And man, that, 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 that was one of the best shows ever. Yeah, it sounded like it was the hottest ticket in the Bay Area if you could go to Summer Jam. Oh yes, yeah, very much so. Yeah, no, Summer Jam, you, you had to be there, period. You had to be at Summer Jam. Yeah. And it was pre-social media too. So you were standing by your court phone being caller number 10 blah, blah, blah to get yes. Summer Jam tickets or a prize from the prize closet if you did not win tickets. And we all know about the prize closet if you worked in radio. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, very much so. I, I can contest to that. <laughs> yeah, probably was on the low like, hey man, uh, give me a so-and-so bumper sticker and I'll give you this promo CD. <laughs> yeah oh yeah google the oh, cd yeah. kids <laughs> oh yeah 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 please google those cds and and, and, and tapes too cassette tapes i still got some uh in my closet as we speak but um yeah those are those are those are like fun days as a matter of fact i believe i still have a uh wild 107 and a 106.1 kmel uh cd a compilation cd Oh, yeah. And that, that's crazy. And we were talking about public access TV earlier. So can we talk about the impact of Chuck Johnson's soul beat and what it meant to the Bay Area and how it served as a voice for the African-American community in Oakland? And it was where you got information, you got entertainment, and it was just a great local, well-ran, produced station. Yeah, that was, um, Soul Beat was, was phenomenal. I lived in San Francisco, so unfortunately we didn't get Soul Beat here in, in San Francisco, but when I would visit my family in the East Bay, especially in Oakland, we would get Soul Beat and I would check it out then. So it was always great to see 
the uh, folks like Dolores Thompson and then uh, Rockefeller, uh, they they all came out of there. So it was one, one of the things that I loved, especially at that time, was that seeing people that looked like me and and being a little boy and seeing that, that really inspired me also. And there was another guy that had a, a, a great influence on me and his name is Tony Kilbert. Tony Kilbert was uh, on a, uh, he was on another station out here in the Bay Area called Coffee TV 20. And he was so cool and he was so smooth that I wanted to be like that. That's, I knew that that's what I wanted to be. So it was a combination of seeing him and then seeing Soapbeat uh, and, and then with Chuck giving a lot of people opportunity, that, that meant a lot for us because, you know, sometimes there, there might not be opportunity at a lot of places, but then Soapbeat was also the place where you're able to cut your teeth and a lot of people came out of there and being able to uh, create their own entities by way of Soapbeat. So Soapbeat was definitely a great example of what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Because I remember seeing a couple of old Soul Beat commercials on YouTube and saw a promo for a late night show that the comedian Linnell was doing yeah. before she really yeah. took off. Yeah, and Linnell's from out here. So, yeah, and and in so many ways, that it was almost like Chuck was doing what Don Cornelius was doing in Chicago. And just in a, just from a, a, from a, 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 a regional perspective. Mm-hmm. And speaking of shows from a regional perspective, uh, thanks to the internet, the world now gets to see the greatness of Video Music Box and the great Showtime documentary directed by Nas about Video Music Box and the impact that Uncle Ralph McDaniels and Lionel the Big Kid Martin has had with that show, which is still going to this day. Was there a show similar to that in the Bay Area in that same vein? Oh boy, um, you had CMC, the California Music Channel, which was hosted by Sway and uh, a guy named Chewy Gomez, Trace and Friends, and and then uh, Andy. Um, it's a guy named Andy, and uh, his his last name uh, is escaping me, but Andy was at the at at the helm of it, and then uh, guys like Chewy, who was at Wild 107, and then eventually went to KML, and then you had Sway. A lot of them were hosting that. So CMC, in so many ways, was that. And then we had The Box, uh, which was also an East Bay thing. We didn't get it here in San Francisco. But uh, we had shows like that. And then we had some other uh, local shows like um, uh, World Visions, uh, 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 Rap Central, Hits from the Bay, Music Central. Uh, you had shows like that, but I think California Music Channel was the the, the one who had a who had who had uh, an impact like that. Wow! And you mentioned the box now. For those of you that's too young or cannot remember what the box is or was, it was the precursor to what would be now on demand. But you had to call a nine hundred number, have a three number set for which video you want to order. But if you're under 18, be sure to get your parents' permission before dialing because right. that was back when we had phone bills. But um, I think the thing about the box was that depending on where you lived in the country, it was kind of regionalized based on where you were as far as the video selection. Right, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, yeah, it was very selective in where you were able to catch the box. And uh, like I said, when I would go to... Uh, Oakland to go visit family and friends. That's when I saw the box, and we and I remember uh, one Christmas, my 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 cousins and I we snuck in the room and actually requested a video. And I think it was um, 
we requested, uh, I think it was RBL Posse, uh, a group out of San Francisco, and then we were requesting SWV, You're Always On My Mind. So, and so it was, just, you know, we, it, it, it did, you know, we would, we would try to catch those and luckily we did and, uh, and nobody got caught and our, uh, our aunts and uncles were on the hook for the phone bill. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Statue of limitations probably still not up with that one, but um, I only got to saw the box when I went to my grandmother's house. She had satellite. We had cable, but box wasn't available on cable. It was only right. on satellite. So that was the only time. I got to see the box and being in North Carolina, of course, everything kind of traveled slow back then, especially being in the South. Cause you pretty much got what was coming out of New York and then everything that was coming out of the West, but it was filtering kind of late because everybody still looked at the South as old and slow and then really started to take the South seriously. Once everything that came out of Atlanta with the face and so-so death really blew up and took off. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, too, because with the South, especially Atlanta, Atlanta was so uh, poised with talent coming out of there. And one of the things that I, you have to give it up to L.A. Reed and, and Pebbles because they, they saw something there. They saw they saw there was a uh, they saw that there was a hotbed of, of music and talent here. And that's why we got organized noise. That's why we were able to get the outcasts and the goody mobs and later TIs and the TLCs. And you, you were able to get all of these acts and they were able to bubble. And I mean, and, and I mean, even Bobby Brown moved to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So so we, we obviously knew that Atlanta was something special and 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 it was and, and really good on uh, L.A. Reed pebbles and babyface for really catching catching it and um and as a matter of fact you uh i'm sure you noticed Jarrell sleepy brown his father was in britain is it's right yeah yeah the saxophone player and and co-lead singer co-founder mm -hmm. and then also sos band laid the foundation for what was later to come out of atlanta because them being from atlanta they had kind of like the groundwork but what was later come with L.A., Babyface, LaFace, J.D., and So So Deaf. That's then right. Also, you got the other pockets in the South with 3-6 Mafia, DJ Spanish Fly out of Memphis, 8-Ball MJG. Then, of course, Houston with Rap-A-Lot, Jay Prince. You got Suave yeah. House, Tony Draper, and just the impact of Houston and Memphis alone combined with Atlanta made the South <laughs> a force to be reckoned with and right now even my home state of north carolina really been on the map you know music wise with j cole yes Rassidy, little brother and we can go on and on all the great musical acts that came out of uh the tar hill state jodeci sunshine anderson yeah anthony hamilton ski beats from north carolina who helped produce jay-z's ski beast yes that's right Ooh, yes yeah, that's that's the oh yeah yeah salute to salute to the Carolinas and North Carolina and and uh, Ninth Wonder man and Little Brother, uh, uh man I was just uh, just the other day I was just listening to the Mistral Show album man I would love to see Little Brother you know do more work together you know just that just that that trio was just a, a force to be reckoned with and uh, salute to to Little Brother and then we, of course we can't forget about Florida and Miami and what Luke and was doing.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the whole Miami bass movement, Skywalker Records, Luke Records, and yes, you no, know, MC Shadi, even though he was he lived in Atlanta by relocation of New York, he had right. that Miami bass sound, and of course, what was later come with two live crew, and then later on, slip and slide, and all the music that came out of there, Trick Daddy, Trina, and even Uncle Luke gave Pitbull his start. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Pitbull. Yeah, and I mean, and you think about that, just that, yeah, and Pitbull just took it and, and ran with it. And, and then, of course, Rick Ross and Khaled. Yeah, and, and, and DJ Khaled. Oh, my goodness. And, and then also, too, I would be remiss in speaking about the Bay Area, Master P. And Master P, yet he's a New Orleans guy, but he got his start here in the Bay Area, Richmond, California, to be exact. And matter of fact, he had a record store called No Limit Records. Uh, I, I never went to his store. I, I didn't. I didn't go out to Richmond too often, but uh, but he was another force to be reckoned with. And then he had a lot of people that he was working with over there. Uh, EA Ski was a guy that he did a lot of work with, uh, who who was uh, who was big during the. Um, he was big during the high heat scene. Uh, EA Ski as a producer and as a rapper. Right. Master P definitely uh, got to start here. Yeah, and I didn't know that until I saw the documentary that came out maybe a year or two ago on BT, the No Limit Chronicles, about how yeah. he had to go to the Bay, pop off there, and then he brought it back home to New Orleans, where it really yeah. went like gangbusters. Yeah, it went like gangbusters, yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lot of his work, a lot of his uh, his, his foundation started here with uh, um, The Ghetto's Trying to Kill Me and uh, yeah, uh, ooh, uh, Mr. Ice Cream Man. Yeah, he he was he was doing his thing here. People was really he was he was something special. People definitely revered Master P. Right, and you can definitely thank Jordan Peele for a lot of folks getting some of that Bay Area flavor when he took "I Got Five on It" by the Loonies and made it a haunting track in the movie Us. Yes. So can we talk about the impact of the Loonies, Timex Social Club, Club Nouveau, and then En Vogue, and also Foster and McElroy? Oh yeah, Foster and, and and yeah, well, well, you mentioned those two guys, those producers. They were also they were very responsible for the the, the careers of of Envode uh, and Tony Tony Tony. As a matter of fact, they they helped in producing Tony Tony Tony's first album and and, and uh, yeah, and who and then the revival. Uh, they're they're on the, they're on a, a, some of that album, so. Um, and then of course with Invoke, oh my goodness, um, that 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 foursome, that quartet, could never be duplicated. Don, Maxine, Terry, and Cindy, uh, they they were obviously meant to be together, and I felt like they they were just as strong as 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 each of them. They you needed you needed all four of them to make that group something special, mm-hmm. and. And I think with 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 those guys at the helm and producing, it 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 was just um, you you had to give it up to them. And then with and then with uh, Jay King over there with Time at Social Club, uh, uh, why you treat me so bad and lean on me and yeah that that was all and and again that that was all happening uh, right here in the Bay Area and and what was so and we were so proud. What was so proud about it was that we knew that they were from the Bay Area. They were from across the water. And um, 
Yeah, with Time Match uh, Social Club. As a matter of fact, I believe Teddy Riley wanted to work with 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 Jay King and, and Time Max at one point and and uh, new and Club Nouveau. Time Match Social Club eventually became uh, became uh, Club Nouveau. But Teddy Riley actually wanted to do work with with a uh, with with uh, cl- uh, with Time Max and, and Club Mo- Club Nouveau at one point. And this yeah. is when he was in in between Kids at Work and before he formed Guy with Timmy. Wow, that I did not know that. I know Teddy. I think he did the remix for "You Ain't No Friend of Mine" for Club Nouveau. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and also CJ Flash. CJ Flash was also within that 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 J King camp too. Right, and then of course Samuel Club Nouveau. Teddy did the remix for yes. "So You Like What You See." Now Samuel, yes. when I hear him vocally, to me he's like a Bay Area version of Alexander O'Neill because I could easily put. Alexander O'Neill vocally on that. Yes. Oh, ooh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 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 definitely unsung. Both of those guys are, are truly unsung and uh they still don't get a lot of the their 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 propers. And and and, and Jarrell, I have to say this too. You mentioned Alexander O'Neill. I every time I, I listen to a time song, I hear Alexander O'Neill because Alexander O'Neill was cited to be. The lead singer for the time and Morris Day, which is crazy. In hindsight, it, 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 in looking at it, that he would be the drummer. Crazy. Yeah, but Alex wanted that paper, and uh, I guess Prince showed him the boot. But as we all know about how competitive Prince was, and how when the time would go on stage before him, Prince was probably like, "Uh oh, I created a monster." Because you think about it, someone with that much talent where he has all these feeder acts to get all this excess material out and the feeder band gives you more heat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, it was, uh, one thing I, I remember Prince saying in an article was that one of, one of the things that he, he liked about them about the time was that they were able to pick it up rapidly and, and, uh, Yet they didn't play on the first album, but by the time the second album came out, what time is it? They were playing on it. They didn't write, they didn't write anything, but they were playing on it. And obviously that's that's why Jimmy and Terry had uh went out to Atlanta to go produce the SOS band, and that's how they got fired. Mm-hmm. And a freak snowstorm that happened in Atlanta. But I'm yeah. speaking of Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis at the end of this month on Annie and Lifetime. Janet Jackson's documentary will be dropping. Oh, and yeah. It's a rare treat because normally she's very private. You don't know anything about her for being a public figure. So what do you take about her choosing to open herself up now to where she's always been very hush-hush, even though the last name is known throughout the world? Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it would be nice to get an insight on, on, on Janet, but I knew something was... I, I, when when she was able to, to to hide her marriage for so many years, that that said a lot. That said a lot about Janet. That right there, I, I was like, wow, she's really private. So for her to do this, this must be something special. Because again, as an entertainer, everybody knows your business, and of course, the name Jackson associated with the other Jackson, Michael Jackson, um, and you 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 you're, everybody's bound to try to get some kind of dirt on. And so, yeah, so I, I think this is something special and I think we, we all need to see 
and get it and, and see what what's going on with Miss Jackson. So I think this is something very special. Yeah, I, I definitely will it. be DVRing that. And it was like when Prince had decided before he passed to write the memoir. And when I got it and read it, it was good, but it felt incomplete. And I felt he was at that point before he passed where it was like, okay, maybe my way of doing things rub people the wrong way. I'm going to try to open up a little bit more, let people in and not be like the Wizard of Oz, be the man behind the curtain. Yeah, the right his wrongs. And what one thing about Prince, and it, it seemed like that's what he was trying to do, whether it was with Morris or with Apollonia. Uh, he, he seemed to try to right his wrongs. But one thing we obviously know that Prince had was a heart. And he was behind a lot of things, but a lot of things he didn't he didn't outwardly take the credit for. And that's something I, I have so much respect for. And he was trying to teach a lot of the artists to be independent. So you you so you have to give it up to a guy like that because obviously he was in he was in the trenches so he knew exactly what the business was. Right. And speaking of independent, we were talking about Too Short and E40 earlier. How before they got their major record deals, they were hustling independent, going to the one stop shop, getting their stuff printed up, selling out the trunk, moving units, and made so much noise that major labels say whatever you want let me back up the truck so can we talk about that independent spirit of artists in the bay to where instead of sitting around waiting i'm gonna go get it yeah that's something that i, I really love about this particular area and with 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 uh, the with, with oakland vallejo san francisco berkeley hayward that was always our our our, our energy here in the bay area and that's why a lot of people from from LA like to come up here and and and, and collab because they love the synergy that was happening around here everybody was independent that and that that was always something that that E40 and them were very proud to they were very they 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 took pride into that and we had intermittent records and you this I, I'm gonna say this this area to me in in in, in so many ways it was kind of like an area that we were um if, if 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 we had some kind of um, shine on on what we were doing, that's great. But if we didn't. We'll still continue to be independent. So I think this area, what was so special about it, was that we were preoccupied with just being independent and not signing with a major and getting ripped off. So we always had that independent spirit, and we still have it. And I think that's 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 the best way of doing it. You see it with E40. You saw it with his brothers. Uh, you saw it with his sister. You see it with his cousin, Be Legit. And you see it with Too Short, uh, Three Times Crazy, and so on and so forth. So everybody decided to go the independent route. And I think that's that's very important because you you, you might have to put the grunt work in, but all of the, the monies and, and the rewards come back to you. And I think that's something that's great. Mm, and, 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 you, and, and, and you see that, and, and if, I, if I may say this, and a lot of, in a lot of other regions, Followed that, Houston followed that, Florida followed that. Uh, so and and Master P obviously did the same thing, and and he just took it back to New Orleans. And you saw Cash Money did the same thing. Mm, so it all comes back to what was going on in the town. Now, I want to say that I'm glad people are not hating on Hammer like they was back in the day. But if it wasn't for Hammer, rap wouldn't be as commercially acceptable like it is now because to think about it to go diamond 
with a rap yeah. album. That was unheard of in the early 90s. I mean, this man was pitching everything from KFC to Taco Bell, British Nights, had the Saturday morning cartoon. Yes. And he made the infamous Hammer Pants, which was designed by former Soul Train dancer Tamichi Tony Briggs, a worldwide staple. I mean, New Edition had on Hammer Pants in the Heartbreak video. That's, ooh, yes, they sure did. They sure did. They did. Okay. So that obviously tells you a lot about what the Bay had had, had, a, had a great influence on it. And there's a lot of people in the industry who are from the Bay Area. So, but Hammer, yeah, you have to give it up to Hammer. And Hammer, you know, he had 357. He had BNGB and uh, uh, Two Big MC. So he had a lot of those guys. He had a lot of those people. And, and, Stan, and, and Stanley, Hammer's real name, uh, Stanley was, was, was a, he was not to be played with. And, um, even Missy Elliott, even Missy Elliott and Outkast had to give it up to Hammer. And in so many ways, uh, James Brown, Michael Jackson even had to, had to give it up to Hammer because they knew what he was doing. So MC Hammer was, was definitely one of the best to do it. Uh, also known as a Holy Ghost boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Red Man told the story how he said something about Hammer, and Hammer had to see him real quick. Like, hey, don't let these shiny pants fool you. I can get down. You can't touch these hands. <laughs> yeah, he said it's gonna be touching you. And, and, and I mean, I, I I remember seeing that, and Red Man left that conversation. Yes, sir. And and even uh, MC Search, even uh, from third base, MC oh, the Search, gas base when they um when they did some so RIP uh, MF Doom, formerly known yeah. as Love X was in the gas yeah. video with uh, KMD, his former group. A a absolutely. So, yeah, so MC Hammer was somebody uh, that was definitely a, a force to be reckoned with uh, on, on all fronts. So Hammer was definitely a guy you had to give it up to. And like you said, you see it now. Uh, you see a lot of the people who were going at him then are doing what he's doing now. Right. And switching gears to radio. So what was it like you submitting that first air check and getting to your first radio stop wow um so yeah uh with my first radio stop from a commercial so i i, I worked i, I had an on-air show at kpo for for some years and then eventually i had a uh, board opt and cutting my teeth at, at different stations around town and then there was an opportunity to work at q102 krbq q102.1 and at the time, it was a throwback station. And the program director at the time, Trevor Simpson, had uh, really gave me a shot. And I, I, was, I was very green uh, from a commercial radio perspective because I hadn't really done anything uh, on that caliber yet. So all I had was uh, what I did. I just took a two-minute air check, cut it up and just put my best work in there. And I was nervous, Jarrell. I was very nervous because I didn't know what to expect. Um, but uh, Trevor and Joy V, they, they said that we like your sound. Um, just if, if you can, they said that we like your sound, you, you have a really good sound and I think you'd be good for, for the fabric of Q102. I think especially as you get comfortable and you get in the pocket of, of because you know the format and the format at the time was throwbacks. So it was a lot of uh, 80s hip hop and R&B and 90s hip hop and R&B. So Jarrell, you and I both know that's, that's, that's our wheelhouse. And once that happened, it was on. And, and so getting that air, so really getting that air check 
to Trevor and Joy V was really, uh, that, that was such a blessing. And I was able to do that. And then uh, the great Mr. Elroy Smith came to town and uh, he programmed 102.9 KBLX and uh, 102.1 Q102. And Mr. Elroy Smith, he was the guy that really helped me a lot. And he was a guy that was very adamant about, he was very adamant about doing air checks. And I remember he told me, he said that, uh, he said, one thing you wanna do is uh, not speed talk. He said, you're talking so fast, just slow it down a bit. He said, slow it down. He said, you're great, just slow it down and just give us one idea for break. And especially, and in, 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 in also keep that personality because he said, you have that personality. And then he said, and then you're, and he said, and you're D minor. So a light bulb went off in my ear and Elroy is, is known to, one thing I love about working for Elroy was that he wanted personality. The music is there and the music is obviously the star, but the, the, the personalities need to shine too. So that, so he was really good at, at, at encouraging his talents. And he did that for me, especially in the four years that I worked for him. Yeah. And it's crazy how you mentioned personality driven radio and how now radio is still trying to find its footing and where do we fit in the current landscape where today's younger generation won't even have the same attachment like we had with radio yes. if a local jot was going to come do a remote or if they spotted a bumper sticker on your car you'll get the prize for whatever your station number is it just doesn't have that same feel today like it did in the 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s early 2000s really before streaming and online really took off and grabbed the emotional sentimental attachment away from radio yeah you're absolutely right about that Jarrell because for me growing up I was influenced greatly by the St. John's of the world the Clifford Brown Juniors the Leslie Stowe Viles the Frankie Crockers the BK Kirklands and the Tony Kilberts and Antoine Davis and even some of my peers now I'm very inspired by so and, and it, it's unfortunate that now we don't we don't really have that and i think that if we can go back to more personality being showcased i think we'd be okay and i think it can happen and i'm optimistic especially in the in the ppm or excuse me ppm world i think we can still make that happen i think i think a lot of that could could still be be effective because you hear it you hear it, you, you hear personality uh content within podcasts so why not bring that over here? We, we gotta, you, you gotta take the reins off if you want radio to still be a vibrant uh, business. Mm, you can't be thinking like you did 20, 30 years ago where it's like, get in, get out of your break, be sure to hit the post, don't say nothing more, don't say nothing less, all that whoo, out the window. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right about that, Jarrell, for real. Yeah, because I can remember listening to air checks of stations that had the hot hits format and how it would be maybe the same five power songs at the top of every hour. And your break didn't last no more than maybe one to two minutes before your rejoin ID hit before going yeah. into the power song. Yeah, and see, that was something that when that was that was something that Mr. Elroy Smith encouraged personality. And 
that's one thing I loved about working for him is that he was able to he was able to give us that. And most PDs, especially, excuse me, most PDs now they they kind of shy away from that. But a guy like Elroy was able to be more um, uh, uh, a defiant one. I I I don't know if defiant one is the right one, but he he definitely went with his gut, and he and he definitely allowed us to do what we wanted to do, wanted to do. Uh, especially within the confines of the format. Now, does the philosophy change depending on which market you go to? Like when you were in yeah. Evansville, Indiana, was it a totally different PD philosophy approach as far as no personality, music's a star, you're just there to be the secondary? Yeah, I mean, that, to some degree, yeah. I mean, the music is obviously the star. And and I've always, even going back to my KPO days, I always knew that the music was the star. But uh, with 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 uh, with WEOA, what was what's good about that is uh, even with um, a station like that and, and working under another great program director, Harry Louse, uh, Harry Louse, uh, and I have to give it up to him, Harry Louse Sr., what I learned from Elroy, I was able to bring that to, to Evansville. And that's what was so special about what's what's so special about that. Um, and then working under a programmer like Harry Lows, we still were able to get our personalities out, but he just had a different, he just has a different perspective of doing it. But we were able to still, I was able to still get D minor out. So one of the things that I like to do is play on my name. So, you know, we if I have a winner. You know, oh, thank you, thank you so much for, thank you, thank you for the tickets. Oh, it's a minor thing. So just a play on words and things like that. So I was still able to get my personality out. So we didn't, we, we so to answer your question, I didn't, I didn't really have to go away from too much of, of, of curving um, who I was as a personality. Mm, right. And we were talking about Sway and we know Sway, radio legend, TV legend. I first came to know him when he, went national on MTV, but you've known him since his days in the Bay Area, like you mentioned, the CMC channel, and then later 106 Camiel, where he hosted the legendary Wake Up Show Wake up with show. King Tech. Now, I just heard an air check of uh, the Wake Up Show for the first time, maybe two weeks ago, and it mm -hmm. was Guru, RIP, from Gangstar, yeah. was doing an interview and did a short freestyle, and this was, I believe, pre-signed Eminem, I think he was coming off of his uh, Rap Olympics battle, and this before Dre heard him, and he got signed. And I always thought it was a morning show, but it was pretty much like a night hip-hop mix show, kind of like what uh, Mr. Magic was doing with BLS. WBLS. Red Alert, yeah. Chuck Chill Out on Kiss. So can we just talk about the impact of the Wake Up Show and what Tech, King Tech and Sway means to the bay area you can't mention radio without those two flat out and <laughs> sway sway and king tech were actually rapping uh it, they were getting their start in fx sway was working at a distribution as a at a music distribution company before he actually got into radio okay so uh, before the CMCs and before the wake up show and before anything, uh, Sway was actually doing that and he was rapping with King Tech. And matter of fact, Sway can actually rap. He, he, he do his thing. So, uh, so 
so so they were out there they were around cutting their teeth and, and getting their getting their things started and this is way before he actually had dreadlocks before he actually wore his hat so he was doing his thing then. so uh 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 yeah you sway definitely inspired so many people and i used to see him every friday on cmc because he did it for he did cmc for a short sprint and uh and on fridays he was uh he was somebody that that, that was a great influence on myself and, and a lot of my counterparts uh that are that are doing radio now and so sway when we saw him on mtv Oh, we were so proud. I know I was I was very proud because I saw where he came from. And you saw all of the things that he had to go through in order to get there as far as just going through in the sense of going from one from one station to another and things like that. And um, he's on MTV and he's doing Sway in the Mornings on Sirius XM like that, like he he's made it. I mean, and he's and I'm sure there's other things that I'm sure he wants to do. But that's that's obviously a, a, a inspiration to a lot of us, especially coming out of the Bay Area. Mm. Now, one DJ that is heavily influential, synonymous across the board, Radio Hall of Famer, got his start, I believe in Detroit, where his parents owned a record store in Detroit. You know who I'm talking about. And he starred on a little musical program that aired on a little cable station that was based out of Chocolate City, a.k.a. Washington, D.C., Video yes, Soul. So can we talk about the impact of Mr. Green Eyes himself, Donnie Simpson? Oh, man, Donnie Simpson. Jarrell, Donnie Simpson. Mm, 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 mm. Donnie Simpson was... I couldn't, he was a house, he, that, that name was, was, was just, we loved Donnie Simpson in the house. Growing up, Jarrell, and you know, cause you were there too. Growing up watching videos. So one thing I loved about Donnie Simpson, he was so smooth. He was cool. You can tell he was a fan of the music and, uh, and, and, and he he one of one of the things that I loved about Video Soul, Terrell, was that it was a it, it was a it was a music lesson. It was a lesson and you didn't even know you were being taught. One night he would have Phyllis Hyman on. The next night he would have uh New Edition. Uh the next night he would have uh Earth Wind and Fire, The Good Girls, Bobby Brown. And he knew these artists. It wasn't like you it wasn't like he was just doing an interview. He was having a conversation like he knew these guys. He had the time on and then he had Whitney Houston. Matter of fact, Video Soul, Donnie Simpson, that's where I actually learned that uh, Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston were an item. And then what was so cool about BET as a whole was that what was so special was that they projected Black excellence. And even when Donnie Simpson took off, I used to love watching Paul Porter, Capitan Paul Porter, whether he was video vibration or our Midnight Love, and then he would fill in for, for Donnie Simpson, along with the late great Melvin Lindsay, uh, the the founder of the uh, the founder and co-creator of the Quiet Storm, and then of course Angela Stribblin. It was beautiful just to see them, and because of Donnie Simpson, I wanted to be in radio. I wanted to do well. I learned that he was doing radio later, but he was one of the reasons why I wanted to do TV 
TV didn't happen. So radio was where it was for me. But Donnie Sinton was, was a guy that I always felt he was the face of BET. And even when AJ and Free were doing 106 in part, it was always about Donnie Simpson for me because he was just something special. He can articulate. He was very professional. He, he, he was, I mean, who, I mean, you, you could, you, you had to love Donnie Simpson. He was just, he was the man. He was the freaking man. <laughs> and yeah. for me, I, I, I still, I still geek off of him even on his old air checks when he was in Detroit. Man. Imagine how I was when I interviewed the man. I was trying my yeah. hardest not to fanboy doing the whole interview and say, hey, what I'm doing is just a poor man version of you. Yeah, I mean, how could you? I mean, you have to give it up to him. I mean, it's like, come on. I mean, but, I mean, again, Jarrell, you and I would not be where we are now if it wasn't for Donnie Simpson and BET. Of, of, of course not, man, because my that was, instead of a pacifier in my mouth, my mom would just turn on Video Soul or Soul Train yeah, keep me quiet. Don Knees, another influence of mine as well. Yeah, on the uh, radio as well because you want to be knowledgeable of the subject and of what you're talking about, but not come across too much like a fan because when you do that, they tend to lose all the respect for you and yes. also sound like you're not coming from a prep sheet that your boss just gave you maybe two hours prior. You're just spitting Thank out you. facts because they can spot phony in a minute. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But one thing I, I appreciated again about Donnie Simpson was that it was a music lesson for me because a lot of all of those artists that he had on the show, I was a, a, a great fan of. And again, Seduction was on there. Uh, you had BBD on there. You had Philip Bailey on there. You had The Whispers on there. And all of these people, my dad made me listen to. And so even when I didn't want to eat my vegetables, my dad had to force feed it. He made sure that video soul was on. So that way I enjoyed those vegetables while watching video soul because he knew that's how he was going to able to get me to eat all of my spinach. <laughs> right. And also during this time, music was cross-pollinating every which way you had RB going over the pop, pop going to RB. I mean, yeah. there's a video on YouTube of an episode of Video LP where Sherry Carter did a full episode with New Kids on the Block. And for those that don't know, Luke is on the block at the core, R&B group, but it's just that Pop got it. And when Pop yeah. got it, that was when it was like, hey, these guys are going to be huge. And then, of course, everything that came after that with Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Nine Eight Degrees, and then we can even go now with BTS. Oh, their success to new kids. I mean, look at what Day and New Edition did at the AMAs this past year, where both of those groups impacted not only pop and R&B, but just music, period. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And seeing that performance with, with New Kids and, and, and E, my, matter of fact, I was at my cousin's house and we were both just watching it. We were just like, man, look at this. Look at, like, look at our childhood, our childhood uh, heroes, our music heroes. And we were just like amazed. And they still have it. all six of the new edition members and all five of new kids on the block. And yeah, you, you have to give it up to, you have to give it up to new kids on the block. Maurice Starr, especially Maurice Starr mm -hmm. and, and, and Elroy Smith, because those are the guys that really kicked it off for, 
new addition and, and new kids on the block to have those have their opportunities. And matter of fact, I, I, I'll give you a, a, a short a short story. Uh, Please don't go, girl. Was not intended for new kids on the block. As a matter of fact, that song was offered first to Confunction. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Felton Pilot was going to actually do the lead on on it because you know, as you know, I mean, you know, you know, uh, you have to be a tenor or falsetto to sing it. So, but but yeah, Confunction was offered. Please don't go, girl. Please don't go, girl. First. And Maurice had wrote it and uh, they turned it down. The, I think the group or the label had turned it down. And, and it was one of those things where Maurice got a hit with it with uh, New Kids on the Block. Yeah, I don't think it would have fit on Confunction though because with the way that the song was structured, it was very kitty, very teeny yes. bop. And only a teen group would have worked that record. And I'm sure you remember, like I do, the bootleg video of Please Don't Go Girl that they did that only got aired on BET. That's right. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny too, because even with Vanilla Ice, Vanilla Ice's audience at first were all Blacks. And it was like, just like New Kids on the Block, so. Yeah, and I believe yeah. he got co-signed by Hammer too. Uh... I, he might have. He I, might think have. He might, I think I, he might have got, got co-signed but wasn't affiliated directly with Hammer, but got yeah. the stamp from Hammer right. because that, that To The Extreme album, dope album, Dancing, oh, that was like oh, yeah. a, a hard cut off of that album. Now, switching gears once again uh, from uh, music back to radio, where do you think radio stands now? How do they find their footing in today's media landscape where it's not like how it was when we were kids where you were standing by the radio had your pause tape ready to record and it it just feels radio is just there yes you're, you're absolutely right about that Jarrell and matter of fact I uh I now work for an NPR affiliate uh KALW and even with NPR I think they're in so many ways they're trying to figure out where to go on that front but I think Radio Jarrell, I think in so many ways, I think we 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 have to, because there's so many ways of, of, of getting music. There's so many areas of getting music. Uh, you can you can stream it, you can go on YouTube. So there's so many ways of getting your content. And I think what radio, radio needs to allow the the radio talents, personalities, wherever you want to call it, they need to allow the program directors, and I'm saying the powers that be, should allow the program directors to allow the personalities to be them. And I think, and I think even radio needs to go back to being localized. It needs to be that 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 local flair was something special. And if we had that, I think we would be okay. Because again. It's something special about knowing that you can listen to a guy on, or a girl on the air and you knew them, you went to school with them and you can actually call them and they actually pick up the phone. A lot of times you don't have that these days. So I think if we can go back to, to the personality, mm -hmm. if the personality could, could also get, uh, be at the helm along with the music, mm -hmm. I think we would be okay because you have to let the rain, you have to take the reins off. Because you can't, you can't, you can't, um, 
you, you can't put a straitjacket on, on, on talent. It's going to burst. So I think because podcast is doing that now in, in so many ways, the podcast, they're, they're allowed to talk. So I think if we can get more of that personality mm-hmm. on radio, on, on terrestrial radio, I think we'll be okay. Yeah. And that for me, that was one of the reasons why I wouldn't want to do commercial radio because I know you're going to have that, that constraint because when you're feeling micromanaged by your board of directors and when you have to do those quarterly PL meetings and you're solely focused on PPMs and saying, oh, we got to follow what the PPM tells us. Oh, you got to show in your break by this. You just feel muzzled where you can't really be your true self because you got all these restrictions coming from above your pay grade. Absolutely. And of course, we love the music and the music will be there. But that and seeing it again, I think in so many ways, if we obviously cannot go back to what it was before, but if we can do something different, but also keep the keep the foundation there, I think radio will be okay. But I think if you want to get the next generation involved, then you need to show them and then you need to allow them to express their personalities. Because that's that because that really that's what it comes down to. You have to allow them to get them get themselves out. Yeah, because I can remember growing up having my pause tape ready for the top eight of eight or ready to record me calling my favorite station for requests and just having that yeah. attachment, just like how we did when we used to go down to the record store, wherever it be Sam Goody, yeah. Camelot, Warehouse, the Wiz, or your local mom and pop. Just going there, yes. getting that cassette tape or that CD, unwrapping the wrapper, opening up the jewel case, and just looking through the booklet, reading the lyrics if they were printed out or the liner yes. notes. If you were the a liner real notes. music nerd and you were like, Man, Yeah, that 1998 was worth it for that Silk the Shaka CD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to Silk the Shocker, though. I love Silk the Shocker and everything that come out of No Limit. I was just throwing your name out just because it was the first thing that popped up in my mind. Right, right. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right about that, Jarrell. That was something, too. And then, and then to, well, and to add on to it, it was always great to hear some of your music heroes on the radio. And that was what was so cool about KML was that they used to always break a lot of the, the, the local artists that were in my neck of the woods. So... It was always great to hear certain people. And that's what was so special about radio is that it was regional. If if, if we can go back to that and, and localize and, and, and making radio local, mm-hmm. local in the sense of the talents are here, are, are actually in the, the actual area. Mm-hmm. If we had that, I think we would be okay as opposed to just, sit, you know, I don't know if you want to call it syndicating or just our, our tracking and things like that. And this is somebody who's had opportunities to track. But I think if we had the, the local, the, the, the more of the local influence, mm. I think we would be okay. I think radio will be in a good place. And then again, I think getting behind local artists and, 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 and really getting behind them and backing them. Because that's really, because that, even Digital Underground, they got a contract with Tommy Boy because... Um, a, a radio station in the Bay Area, here in the Bay Area, played it, and they got that on on, on the soul of of uh, of their music being played on the radio. Right, because not every record is going to translate to every region of the country, and like you stated, depending on where you went, the playlist varied, 
And I'm sure once all those Oakland acts started hitting nationwide, you all were yes. like, man, we, we heard them first, way before everybody else caught on. So it kind of felt like the little mom and pop restaurant all of a sudden became a national chain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, that's what made us so proud to have the, the E-40s, the Two Shorts, the Loonies, the Shock Cheese, the Tupacs, Master P's, the Mr. Fabs, the Kaylani's, the Tonys, so on and so forth. And then um, there was a show that was on MTV. Darrell, you, I think you, you might remember this one. I think it was Cut It. And Lisa and, and, and Left Eye was actually one of the one of the uh, the, 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 uh, the judges oh, on I know the show. You, I know you're talking about you're talking about the cut. I think David Foster yes. was one of the judges. The cut. That's because right. Anastasia, who was big in Europe, got her start on it. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, we had uh, we had somebody from the Bay Area that was on there, uh, Silky. And she was on there and I believe she won. And she was and she's still killing it. She's still bringing it regionally. But uh, but it was it was it was uh, it was it was uh, we were very proud to see that. But yeah, but that was something that was so cool to to hear on the radio. A lot of a lot of the regional stuff. And again, even even as uh, as late as the hyphy movement with with Frontline and Federation and EA Ski and and, uh, and the Hood Stars. Yeah, because I only had a taste of hyphy when, of course, Tell Me When to Go broke nationally with E40 and Mr. And Keep the, the snake and you know R.I.P. Mac Dre and can we just yes. talk about the impact of Mac Dre and that hyphy movement? Wow, Mac Dre, man, Mac Dre was a guy who he can open his mouth and whatever came out was perfect. And when he he got his second wind when he came out of jail. From 1998 up until 2004, the man was killing. And lyrically, uh, he was great, and he had a he had a great impact on on the Bay Area culture. Uh, and him being from Vallejo by way of Oakland, he um, he had a great influence on the Bay Area, and and, and a lot of people kind of went that way with with Hyphy. And he and one thing about Mac Dre, he was another one. He had fun. You can hear on his albums, he had so much fun. And, and, when, and, and what he was doing. And a lot of the rappers, whether it was in his camp or, or, or far far out of his camp, they, they definitely took note in what he was doing. And a lot of, a lot of the music for, for a while after he passed was very Mac Dre influenced. So Mac Dre was a great influence from a artist standpoint, even from a business standpoint, uh, especially when he was coming out with a lot of music. And so uh, City Hall Records is where he uh, got a lot of his distribution uh, with, with Walter. And uh, yeah, he was, he was a guy that you, when he came out, you bought his albums, mm. period. He was, and, and even going back to earlier when he was with uh, Young Black Brother, he was a guy that was just, he, he was definitely a guy that was a force to be reckoned with. And he gave a lot of people opportunity too. Mm -hmm. yeah and then switching of course as we all know gentrification is taking yeah. a stronghold all across the country and um david diggs who's from the oakland area as well touched on it in uh blind spotting and we're seeing him doing his thing with uh snow piercer and then of course mr ryan coogler which got his yes. start with our Fruitvale Station and all the movies that he's done after that. So can we just talk about the impact of those two and how 
they've translated what's going on in and around the area in film in tv to show okay yeah this is not only an issue here but this is an issue everywhere and we're having authentic representation of blackness because i feel like we're in that period that second wave of golden era renaissance of black creativity like how it was when we were coming up with yes. a different world martin living single living single color new york undercover where now you're yes. seeing that with just recently wrapped insecure atlanta grand crew and we could go on on all the shows yes. that's on now and how we're kind of seeing you know blackness and creativity being in vogue or nouveau rich as they say See what yes yes I love it. I love seeing that. And I think a lot of that, especially with Ryan coming out of coming out of uh, Oakland and him uh, working on Fruitvale Station and working on the creeds and so on and so forth, that just gave us, excuse me, that gave us a lot of opportunity to really get in and get in the pocket. And I'm loving and I and I love seeing a lot of the the younger and, and younger in the sense of 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 uh, of their career getting their feet wet and getting there and get and getting started on the uh on on the on the directing and on the producing side of things and i love seeing and i love seeing our content and i love seeing us being being represented and uh whether it, even it whether it's from the bay area whether it's from la wherever it is it's always good just to see what our people are doing in other regions and 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 it's and it's great and 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 well you mentioned justification uh, it's it's definitely hit here in San Francisco, and, and, and the Bay Area essentially because a lot of African Americans have have been forced to move out, and uh, it's a, it's very unfortunate. But I know this is not just a problem here; it's also happening in other parts of the of the world or in the country. Mm, yeah, because seeing how the Warriors moved from Oakland across the bridge yeah. to San Fran, that tech money talks. I'm just gonna yeah. say that. Oh yeah, no, no, no. You're absolutely right about that, and I think a lot of people weren't really too happy with the the Warriors moving to San Francisco. Well, they they were a San Francisco team first, but they were in Oakland for so long that it took a, a when they left Oakland, it took a lot of jobs away, even with the Raiders. And so now with Oakland, Oakland only has they they only had the 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 A's. The, the, oh, the A's. So they only have the Oakland A's. So you know, and again, that's a lot of jobs that are being taken away, even with LeBron leaving Cleveland. You know, a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunities are, are that, that economy in that particular area could surfer just based off of one move that you make. So, you know, we, we definitely have to continue to, to really build, in, with, build within our community and, and come back and, and really do something. Right. And the one thing I appreciate about Oakland is that Oakland, if, if you're a real one, you a real one because it look at oh, yeah. Marshawn Lynch, Gary Payton, his boy, uh, Jason Kidd. It, they're yes. like super, super loyal. Dame was like, I ain't gonna go link up with nobody. I'm gonna go get it on my own because I ain't built like I ain't built like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and salute to Marshawn Lynch because he is so open to the bone. Okay, real. And, he, he a real yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, he is a real one. Period, and and, and he and and he, and he and he's very honest, and that's what and, and you can only respect that. And like the man Air has Force been to Super Bowls. Yes, yes, 
man been to Super Bowls. He's been all over the world. But he still, he, I mean, but he he still goes back to his community and he still gives it up. And so that's something that I, I so respect for. That's I have so much respect for for Marshawn and even guys like Mr. Fab and um and and, and Gary Payton. And I love seeing Gary Payton too playing for the Warriors. Okay. And and I, that's one thing I, I love. I love seeing that. And that's one thing about the about, about the Bay Area. The Bay Area will not. They're they not going to they, they gonna make sure you don't forget about the Bay Area. People who came from out of here, they're going to make sure that. Even Tupac said that. Even Tupac said that I love the Bay. But the Bay going to also remember, they're going to they gonna remind you that you you are from the Bay Area. Right. And I was cur- I'm curious to know this. When the whole East Coast, West Coast feud was going on with Death Row and Bad Boy, was Oakland kind of like out of it since that was considered a different scene from what was going on south with death row and shook and bad boy it was kind of hey we ain't got no dog in this race um no because tupac we knew that tupac was from oakland so we knew that he had got to start well well oakland by ray of moran city so tupac had his loyal supporters here and then of course sibo uh the click they, they were all and, and rapid folk, rapid folks say we're all on all eyes on me so tupac definitely had his loyal supporters here and but the bay area was definitely in support of uh, was definitely was definitely supporting tupac um death row to a degree but but you can definitely tell that was more of an la thing mm. but I, but but of course so you know it was it was west coast so you know people definitely were uh right. Definitely, people in the Bay Area were definitely like, okay, well, if it's on its own, you know. And matter of fact, uh, about a year or two before, all of this stuff really just really got got really nasty. Uh, Biggie and E Forty had a run in with each other, and as a matter of fact, it was mentioned in uh, Biggie's uh, documentary. The, the what was it? It was the one that Big Daddy Kane had narrated on Biggie. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, they had spoke about, they had talked about there was an incident that that uh, that E that E well Biggie and E Forty had, and uh, yeah, so there was already well, I would say yeah. So I think there was tensions that were brewing to some degree. But just with, the whole the Bay Death Area. Row and Bad Boy just kind of just bubbled that whole thing over. And as we saw, yeah. look at it in retrospect now, it really didn't need to happen. Because there was enough room for both Death Row and Bad yeah. Boy to eat. Both different styles of hip-hop. You like what you like. Be happy for the next man. Exactly. And then, then too, Jarrell, I think a lot of it had a lot to do with... Um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of it had to do with the fact that a lot of artists on the West Coast, not just LA, not in, but the West Coast, essentially, we're not getting any kind of play on the East Coast, especially in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I think a lot of people had gripes with that. They had, mm-hmm. they had gripes with that because, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, cause New York, that's the Mecca of hip hop. So mm-hmm. if it's not, if it's not New York influenced, then it ain't hip hop, yeah. it ain't rap. So, so, so in so many ways, I think that was why I think it took a while for the Spice Ones, Two Shorts, and the Fabs, and to, for them to really get to really get their their uh, 
the, that shine, so to speak. Yeah, because I always kind of felt like the West Coast always felt little brother to New York. You always want to go into your big brother's room, always want to go hang out with him to go yes. shoot ball, whatever. Big brother say, nah, you can't go. Nah, you can't go. You try to go to mom and say, mom, make my big brother take me. And yeah. Mother, take your brother with you. Like, I got to take you because <laughs> mama says so. Right, exactly. Yeah, it was definitely one of those kind of ordeals where you had to get the 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 step of approval uh, from uh, New York in so many ways. And it, it, again, if you didn't get that, then it was definitely going to be hard for you to really break in L.A. And, 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 you know, even L.A., I mean, and it's like, I mean, L.A. had that kind of influence, but we knew that New York, because that's where it all started. Mm-hmm. Right. And I want to talk about real quickly before we wrap, can we talk about impact of uh teddy riley la and babyface and jimmy jam terry lewis and then also give me your underrated 90s female and or male r&b groups but first let's talk about the impact of la babyface teddy riley and jam and lewis la and babyface yeah you said la babyface you mentioned flight time you mentioned teddy riley Another name that needs to be mentioned, who in so many ways was the was was the guy who got a lot of them started, got them all started, and that's Leon Silvers. Yes, sir. We 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 got to give it up to Leon Silvers. Leon Silvers. If anybody who does not know who Leon Silvers is, you need to go ahead and Google him. Leon Silvers, Solar Records, by way of the Silver, Western Priest. Yes, rest in peace to Dick Griffey. Leon Silvers was the guy who was the house producer for Solar. And when Babyface and LA, KO and D and, 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 and Carlos from the deal, when they were all trying to get their start, they were going into Babyface, they were going into Leon's uh, sessions, watching him and seeing what he was doing, whether that be with his own group, Dynasty or, or Shalimar. And they were watching him. Because literally, no pun intended, Leon was creating a dynasty at Solar Records, okay? The same goes with Reggie Calloway and his brother, Vincent, Reggie Calloway. You know, Reggie Calloway was, was watching them. And as a matter of fact, a long, um, rumor has it, Prince for a long time blamed Jimmy and Terry for writing and producing Keep On Loving Me for The Whispers. But uh, that w- it wasn't true. It was, it was Leon, his brothers, and, and some of the guys from Dynasty that actually wrote and produced that song. But Jimmy and Terry got started with them, with Leon. Matter of fact, the reason why uh, Terry Lewis's bass playing is so funky is because Leon was teaching them. He was like, you got to give that bass some kind of personality, son. So, and then on top of that, Leon and Teddy Riley worked together whether uh, with Blackstreet. So, Teddy Riley was such a force to be reckoned with. And, and again, Teddy um, revolutionized R&B music and music. And those three names, those, those entities that you mentioned, they were all able to, to uh, be uh, BIPOC when it, come to, when it came to the music because they didn't just stay within R&B. Mm-hmm. They were able to work with, with, with various artists. Uh, mm-hmm. Teddy uh, with uh, Boy George, um, Human League for Flight Time and Babyface with Madonna and so on and so forth and, and Eric Clapton. So though I, I that that era of music, those those guys as producers, 
we're still eating off of them. Who's still, who's not listening to the first guy album? I know I am. Yeah. Uh, they definitely revolutionized music because music is, has never been the same since since they since they had it because R and B was such a because R and B music prior to them making their impact mm-hmm. was 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 kind of uh, adult contemporary. You had Alicia Myers, Anita Baker, Luther, Luther, Freddie Jackson, that whole Hush production, Lilo, Lilo, um, Lilo, Lilo Thomas, Thomas, Melba Moore, shout out to Melba, Paul Lawrence. Yeah, Paul Lawrence. Yeah, all of them, Najee. So that they they were they were very R and B and and hip hop was its own thing and never the two meet. Mm-hmm. But when Teddy Riley was able to 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 mesh them all together, mesh mm-hmm. that and, and create New Jack Swing. Not only did he did he bring new uh, hip hop and R and B together, mm-hmm. but he also brought gospel in, in the mix and, and swing. And so you had all of those elements, and right. they were able to bring that. And you heard it whether it was on the Key Sweat album or the Guy album with Timmy Gatlin and Aaron Hall. Um, they 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 definitely made a splash. And then New Edition comes out. And then we can't. And then Bobby Brown has a has a heck of, heck of a impact on on music because he was able to bring those hip hop elements to the table. And BBD two years later would do the same thing, kick the door open uh, with with uh, with that with that breakout album that they did. And then mm. uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis musically they were so funky. And one thing I love about Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis was that they were always able to give the artists in uh, a personality whether they were working with Usher, whether mm. they were working with New Edition, Janet Jackson. Musically, they were very funky. And uh, because we loved what New Edition was doing before, but when when they got to, when Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis joined New Edition, it was just like, the, the, musically, they were so funky and their choreography was so solid. Mm. Even Rick Payne, I heard, I heard, had even said that he he was so happy that Flight Time came into the, in, into the mix because because the choreography got 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 more got more uh, funky, mm-hmm. and and so, yeah, man, um, you 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 have to give it up to uh, to those guys, and 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 of course they're still killing it still to this day. We're right. still eating, and 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 their influences are 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 a big impact on a lot of the artists today. Right, and then I also want to say too, we mentioned Teddy, L.A. Babyface, and Jamie Lewis, but the early template for what would to later come with New Jack Swing, although Teddy took it and exploded it. Jam and Lewis had those funk and pop sensibilities from their work with Prince and the time. The and Ellie and Babyface had their sheen on it from the deal. I want to say yeah. that I feel that Full Force laid the groundwork early on for that. I want to yes. give Full Force their props. Yes, we just had Paul Anthony on uh, on on our show, Thomas and I, uh, for Let's Talk Music. We just had Paul Anthony on, and Full Force is another group. They, I, I feel like Bo Legged Lou, Be Fine, Shy Shy, Kurt uh, Baby Cherry, Kurt T T. Oh man, and, and Paul, those the, the six of them. They don't get their just. They don't. They don't get their flowers. And I gotta say. Like Leon Silvers, those guys made a, a a splash on the music because not only were they were they music artists, they wrote, they produced, they managed. Even Bo Legged Lou was was dipping dabbing into the comedy side, and they're actors, and they were very professional. Mm. But the thing about it was, one thing I loved about them was that they definitely were were BIPOC, 
and and, and they were obviously crossed and they were and they were crossing various genres uh and what they did musically and working with britney spears working with rihanna uh, uh backstreet boys discovering Nicki minaj and and safari uh full force was definitely uh, those guys, and then even early on with Samantha Fox, Lisa, Lisa, they were another one. They, the thing about it, the thing about them, Jarrell, that Samantha didn't sound like Lisa, Lisa, mm-hmm. Lisa, Lisa didn't sound. She didn't sound like uh, Cheryl. Everybody mm-hmm. had their own personalities. Cheryl didn't sound like the Backstreet Boys. And, you know, and so, it, I mean, that that was one thing I loved about full force as, as, as a group. And even, and, and one thing even too, that I respect about Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and even with full force was that even if only one person wrote it, they all got the credit for it because, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I love that because it's a brotherhood and I appreciate, and, and that's something I, I so appreciate. And, and even in the industry that we're in, uh, you don't often get that, those kind of relationships and that kind of brotherhood that goes a long way. Yeah, because like you mentioned, um, with full force, when one person does something, everybody gets the credit. Because when yeah. I interviewed Bo Legged Lou, he told me that Baby Jerry wrote All I Have to Give for Backstreet Boys, but everybody got the credit so they could eat off of that mega pop smash hit. Yeah, absolutely. 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 So that's one thing I, I appreciate about that. And, um, and and I know Babyface in LA tried to do that for a while, but it didn't work. But um that that's that, that I think mm. th- those kind of th- those kind of relationships, those kind of things that that last is is going to last beyond the business, right? And, and yeah, and so and, and that's one thing I appreciate that, about that, and I think that's a great example of how of how mm. groups need to stay together right. because it because it because at the end of the day, the the sound wouldn't be what it is unless you had those other five guys. Right. Uh, or are they other guy there right. so you so that's i, I totally i right. totally and respect I, that right and i also want to mention the silent partner alongside la and babyface for all of those hits daryl simmons daryl simmons daryl simmons you got to give it up daryl simmons babyface's best friend yeah you, you yeah same yeah absolutely same as with leon silvers because he had his brothers there he had ricky he had uh, uh Dan, dana myers he had uh william shelby and kevin spencer so it takes a team to make things happen. And when you when you take care of your team, they're going to definitely take care of you. Right. So let's go into underrated 90s male, female R&B groups and also 80s, 90s male, female R&B singers. And just name them out at random. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with, uh, with the females, with, with the female groups. Okay. Ladies first. Black girl, nothing nice. SWV, I'm gonna just say that SWV, the Braxons, and uh, something you pointed out. You pointed out, Jarrell. You pointed out Divine. And boy, you gotta give it up to them. And uh, they had they had those they had the the lately, and then they did their rendition of uh, One More Try. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember hearing an air check. I heard an air check of um, that Rick Party had did when he was on GCI, and he play, and, and and on that air check they they played uh, lately by Divine. Oh my goodness, it took me back. Oh my goodness, 
but I would have to say those, those groups and then Brownstone. Okay. So, so yeah. So as far as, oh, 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 sister, sister, Missy Elliott, uh, who started uh, with, um, um, produced by uh, Devontae Swang and the whole basement crew. Okay. So, yeah. So, so sister, they, they're definitely one of the, they're, they're, they're part of, they're in my uh, list of under, underrated uh, female 90s groups. Okay. And, Mm-hmm. All right, my underrated '90s female groups. I'll go Jade, Brownstone, Divine, Assorted Flavors. Now with Jade, here's a little fun fact that a lot of people don't know. I interviewed back in college Joy Marshall from Jade, and she shared with me that "Don't Walk Away" was originally supposed to go to Stephanie Mills. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So imagine Stephanie Mills singing "Don't Walk Away." I can't hear it, Jarrell. I can't. I can. I can hear it, but you yeah, that, that, that was. I can hear it. That was originally intended for her. Now, underrated. Well, she's not underrated vocally, but production, writing wise, she don't get her due. She started off as a duo, later went solo. Was married to Ronna Osley at one point in time. Angela, Miss Angela Wimbush. Angela Wimbush. Oh yeah, Angela. You got to give it up to Angela. Angela. To really be honest, I mean, people give it up to R. Kelly now, but Angela produced and wrote a lot of that stuff for the eyes, especially when the three younger brothers left. And then when and then when Chris and, and Marvin came back, uh, yeah, Angela was writing a lot of that stuff now. OK, yeah. we Yeah. Salute to to Angela uh, Wimbush, Renee and Angela. Uh, mm. I'll be good. And uh, oh, yeah. And then, and, and then, and then to to answer your other question, um, feet. You said feet. You said um, male groups of the nineties and eighties. Yeah, eighties male R and B groups, nineties male R and B groups. Evil one. Ooh, um, I would have to say, okay, well, eighties into the nineties. I would have to say, for me, I think guys, it's it's still a it's, they they still don't get their just too. I always felt like guy left a lot of music on the table, and I always felt like guy for me, we we didn't really get their full potential. And I always felt that it's in and if the business if the business sense was right over there in that camp, then we would still have a Timmy Gatlin there. And I think musically he was such a force. Him and Teddy were a force to be reckoned with together, because if you listen to the second and third album. They didn't sound nothing like what the first album was. Mm. So I would, to, I, I would have to say, I would have to say Guy, Seven Mile, Solo. Um, yeah, uh, I would have to say those, I would have to say those three. And, um, and uh, uh, Two Minute, uh, um, I'm So Alone. Uh, Gerald's group. Uh, men at large. Men at large. Men at large. Yeah. Uh, I, I always felt like I'm so alone. Ooh. I mean, that 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 still gives me chills whenever I hear that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and again, Gerald Levert. Gerald Levert. Even Levert. Him and Mark. I mean, they don't get the they don't get their credit and their just due as as writers and producers and in special generation. Mm-hmm. All right, so my underrated male R&B groups, 80s, 90s. Um, my second favorite group of all time, right behind New Edition, Troop. Um, oh, yeah. Today. Today, Big Bub. Intro. 
and, and then yeah their, their first two albums monster and then this group even though the last name the pedigree was there but they were bigger in europe than they were over here in america 3t that brotherhood album yeah. oh yeah that brotherhood album was solid and tease I mean, me woo. yeah like, tease early, me. like early robin thick songwriting credits yeah on that album i mean I just couldn't understand why they were huge in Europe, but over in America, it wasn't as well received. But in my mind, I was thinking, had that album been released around the same time Backstreet Boys and NSYNC took off over here in America, they would have been huge over here. In America. Oh, I, I oh, I totally agree with that. And yeah, I totally agree with that. And you know, that's funny you mentioned Robin Thicke because Robin was also writing for Jordan Knight. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was getting his writing chops off with 3T and as you mentioned, and then uh, later with Robin Thicke. So yeah, 3T definitely was another under, underrated group. They didn't, they, they, they're another one. They don't do, they yeah. do not get their just to. Yeah, then another underrated group. They were out of the Bay Area, but I think they got lost in the sauce because of Mint Condition and all the other funk bands that were out at the time. And I think they were discovered or were affiliated with Dwayne from Tony, 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 and that'll be Art and Soul. Art and Soul. Art and Soul. Yeah, Sam Bostic. Art and Soul. Sam Bostic. Uh, yeah, they were, matter of fact, they were produced by uh, um, Timothy. Uh, Timothy Christian Riley. Yeah, yeah, Timothy Christian Riley. Yeah, the drummer and the keyboardist for Tony, 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 or one of the keyboardists. Yeah, yeah, ever since you went away. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, matter of fact, I remember, because I worked at a record store. I worked at a record store, Jarrell, for about five years called Creative Music. And I remember Arden Soul had came by. And I was just like, whoa. I was like, that's Arden Soul. And it was all three of them. And I remember one of them said this and it, and it just, it, it tricked me out. And they were like, wow, he knows who we are. I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're art and soul. Like, come on. And this was, in, this was a record store in San Francisco. I'm like, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I still have that CD still to this day, 96. Mm -hmm. And let me give you all three underrated R&B albums from the 90s you should check out. It's Real by The Real Seduction. They were signed to Atlanta Records, a four-man vocal group based out of New Orleans. They had a single called Ain't Nothing Wrong. You can catch their interview on Beyond the Album Cover, wherever you're streaming on YouTube. I am also going to go with Free, the album by the late Prince Marky D, uh, Prince mm -hmm. Marky D and the Soul Convention. Yes. Underrated album. He never really got his just due as a producer himself and Corey Rooney. The work that they did with Mary yeah. J. Blige and yeah, they did uh, Brotherhood on 3T's Brotherhood album. It was the final track on the album, Prince Marky D. And then my other underrated 90s R&B album, I'm going to go with Highland Place Mobsters. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, that's, uh, I like that. That's, uh, okay. Okay. I can respect that for sure. Yeah, because if you look at Highland Place Monsters, I think what happened with them was they were trying to be, they were like Jodeci, but of course Dallas production just started taking off with, you know, ABC and TLC and right. the production just really took first priority. And also he was responsible for Boyz II Men's first big hit, Motown yeah. Philly. And Motown we also got to give props to 
Joyce Fenderella Irby from Climax, who discovered Dallas, Dallas Austin, Austin. also discovered Sammy and Lloyd. And of course, the connection, Jimmy Jeremy Terry Lewis worked with Climax. That's right. And it was, and they were all on Solar Records together. Yeah. It, so, it's, it all comes from that Solar uh, institution. Mm-hmm, yeah. Rest in peace, Dick Griffey. And then, of course, we got to mention Clarence Avant as well from uh, North Carolina Climax. And of course, yes. Sex Records, Bill Withers, Dennis Coffee, then later Taboo with Alexander O'Neill, SOS Band, Sherelle, and really gave Jam and Lewis their true shot after yes. getting ceremoniously canned from the time that's right absolutely yeah clarence avon you he again he's another one he i feel he does not get enough credit he's like leon silvers to me uh he he just doesn't get he doesn't get the credit mm-hmm. so yeah. we we have to we have to salute our, our our people give them their flowers and check out the netflix documentary the black godfather about uh clarence avon and justice impact on the music industry man d minor before we close, do you got any shout outs you want to give? Plug your social media. Where can folks hear you? All of that good stuff, brother. Yeah, thank you so much. By the way, I, I just want to say, Jarrell, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for this, this platform. Uh, th- this is a very important platform. I respect what you're doing. I love what you're doing. Like I said, I, I've been familiar with your work uh, going back some years. So thank you for for providing this platform and just in giving it up to a lot of our heroes. Uh, okay. And so I appreciate you so very much. And um, you can listen to me here in the Bay area on uh, uh, I'm a, I'm a radio announcer for uh, an NPR affiliate called KALW 91.7 FM KALW.org. Uh, I'm a, I'm an announcer there. So I'm the guy that's engineering a lot of the NPR and the BBC programming and doing newscasts. And then I'm also doing a hip hop and R&B show. So I do, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to learn, I'm doing what Tom Joyner would do, the fly jock. So I will fly often to Evansville, Indiana and hold down afternoons for WEOA 98.5 FM, uh, holding down afternoons there. And then also I have a show with my counterpart, Thomas J called Let's Talk Music which is a music conversation piece. And that's on 94.1 FM KPFA at kpfa.org. And like you, Jarrell, we, we had an opportunity to interview a lot of our heroes uh, from, from various genres. Uh, Virgil Roberts, entertainment lawyer for Solar Records and for Defro Records at one point. Uh, H.N. Gregory, we've had on, so on and so forth. So you can check me out all of this on this. All of this you can find on Instagram at dminor. All right, there you have it, people. And you can catch this interview along with other interviews wherever you stream podcasts and on YouTube at Beyond the Album Cover. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for my good friend, my brother, musical wizard, jack of all trades, master of none, D minor. D, thank you for coming on, man. And you got an open spot to come back on anytime, brother. Hey, thank you, man. It's same here, man. We waiting on you to come on Let's Talk Music, Jay. All right, bet.